Nothing on this show is a recommendation to buy or sell securities. While stocks and the stock market will be discussed on this program, check with your advisor or a professional before investing. Helping people navigate the world of money for the past 17 years. Ladies and gentlemen, your hosts of Tape Talk Radio, Quint Tatro and Daniel Zolno. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another edition of Tape Talk Radio. I'm your host, Quint Tatro. And Daniel Zolno. Uh, welcome back, friends. Uh, we are doing a unique thing with our radio program uh, recently. We're getting great feedback from that, and that is we are introducing... DIY Money, our podcast, which is quickly growing and becoming one of the more popular financial podcasts on the interweb. So segment two and segment four of this uh, radio show will actually be segments from our DIY Money. So stay tuned for that. But before we break into that, I want to give a, just a little bit of a market update. I know we've been beating the same drum here over the last several weeks, but uh, the reality remains the same. The market really hasn't done all that much. Now, there is uh, a lot of um, speculation underneath the surface. There are a lot of stocks that seem to be uh, really, really flying high. And we're getting, uh, we're getting to the point where it's, it's actually becoming a little bit concerning uh, to see and feel the euphoria of the individual investor. If you find yourself in that camp where you are maybe even trading yourself and, and venturing into names uh, of companies that you really have no idea what they do, you have no strategy whatsoever, I just want you to understand you're not investing, you're gambling. I, I, and that's okay. I mean, look, I don't, uh, I don't shun anyone for, uh, you know, playing the ponies or going out to Vegas and sitting at the, the blackjack table. That, that's perfectly fine. But the reality is, is that when you are buying uh, a company uh, and you only know the letters and you have no idea what they do, no clue about their balance sheet, their income statement, et cetera, please understand you're not investing, you're gambling. And in history... That typically ends poorly. Now, we don't know when that will end. Uh, I vividly remember doing that personally in the 90s. Well, I was in college. I would go to class. I would place a trade. I would come home. I would have weekend beer money, uh, more than I could ever spend. It was an amazing time. But it did end, and that's what will happen at some point with these very high speculative companies. It does not mean, however, that the market is going to have this massive reversal and well, things are just going to be terrible. But those particular stocks. It's very reticent of uh, the marijuana stock movement that we saw a few years ago. Uh, people were out there buying all these high-flying marijuana stocks that ultimately declined uh, 80-90%, many of which are no longer in existence. Before that, uh, it was a, a, a small-cap biotech craze. Uh, you know, you name it, There's there's been these uh, speculative fervors, and they always end in the same way. So be very, very careful out there. I want to share one thing and talk about very briefly, kick it over to Daniel, what he's hearing and seeing, and that is the word nervous. Is nervousness even a word? I don't know. Nervous. Yeah. People are nervous. For rightful reasons, they're nervous. Coming into the election season, uh, coming out of or maybe going back into uh, a, a COVID-19 experience where we're all quarantined. Who knows where we are in that world? But the reality is people are nervous. And I think, Daniel, it's important to just kind of kick around in, you know, two minutes. What are what are we sharing with folks as as they express their concern about portfolios, investment strategies, et cetera, coming into this what could be potentially 
volatile environment. Absolutely. I think it's a valid concern. And the fact is, uh, you know, we're nervous too. And that's why we keep an eye on the portfolios. It's why we go back to financial plans. And it's why we run sort of a risk analysis on financial plans and ensure that when we figure out a required rate of return, we are allocating capital across various different areas of the investment markets, that's stocks, that's bonds, that's commodities, things like gold, uh, et cetera, that are going to find opportunity in various times. It doesn't mean that the entire portfolio finds opportunity in all environments. That's impossible. But it means that different sleeves of the portfolio are going to perform well in various different types of markets and weather. What that does is it means that well, part of the portfolio might be down when stocks are down. Something like gold might be up. When inflation comes... It'll come at some point. The Fed has pretty much said that they're gunning for it. You know, maybe gold outperforms while stocks outperform, but bonds don't do so well. And so we construct a portfolio that works within clients' risk tolerance and risk temperament. And when things get a little bit nervous, we don't go and look at the market and go, what is the market doing? What's the S&P doing today? What's the Dow doing today? How are we performing in relation to that? We go back to the plan and we go, what were your goals? Required rate of return, we said you needed to achieve those goals. And are we on track for that? Or does it change need to be made? It's not about the end of the day headline number in the market. It's about your plan, your goals. And are you on track for that? That's what we do. That's what we focus on. And as long as we know we're on track for that, we're not too nervous about the static around us. And if you want to sit down and go through that process with us, you may do so by calling us at 881-0777. That's 881-0777. Every environment we have been in over the last 20 years, quite honestly, you could say we're nervous. Uh, There is not a day that goes by there isn't something threatening this market. However, having a plan, a diversified allocation, and uh, a methodology to achieve your goals is paramount. So again, 881-0777. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another edition of DIY Money. DIY Money. Well, shake on Daniel. How much? Drinking a good cup of coffee this morning. I was going to ask. Coffee snob. What you drinking today? Ethiopia Kenya mix. Okay. It's an interesting blend. It's good. Sinerjos summer blend. Sinerjos. Sinerjos. I think the J is silent. Sinerjos. There's not a J. Whatever it is. It's a G. The G is silent then. <laughs> I'd probably say it wrong. I don't know. <laughs> it's one fine. of those like fancy coffee roasters here locally that nice. you just pick up a, a bag and they have a funky name on the label. And so is you it, say it and then all the millennials look at you funny because you don't know the real way to say it. Is it good? I mean, is it... Do you want to taste it? No, I don't want to taste it. We can't do that. We no. have to stay six feet apart. Yeah. No. <laughs> is that maybe you to do, do you walk away from that going, wow, that's a really good cup of coffee? It is a really good cup of coffee. Yeah. It's well balanced. The thing with the micro roasters is they get specific beans. And they know how to roast it for that bean. Mm. So it's, you know, for some people like wine, some people like craft beer some people like i mean i should bring my wine in we could you could have your coffee at 10 o'clock in the morning and i could for the purposes of this <laughs> podcast i could be sipping wine and talking about the uh, italian vineyards yeah some people buy five dollar cof- uh, coffees at starbucks or whatever they do the lattes or whatever we budget for um you know craft roasted coffee have it a couple days of the week it just really makes my morning on the days that i have it so it, it's one of those things you got to find areas in your budget that you spend a little more because you get a little more quality out of life, uh, or you, you just get something back for it. And you have to be unashamed for the fact that sometimes you 
you choose to pay a little bit more to get something that you really want. Wow. So. If you have never set up our question <laughs> for Abraham before, I don't know if you meant to do that, but that was a standout because we've got a great question today uh, coming in from Abraham about moving into the investment world. He's clearly in the wealth development phase of his DIY money journey. And he's got a great question. So let's hit it without further ado. Abraham, what do you got? D-I-Y! Hi, my name is Abraham, and I'm actually calling from Toronto, Canada. Um, I started my personal finance journey, and I've been listening to your uh, podcast. It's been super helpful. And I actually wanted to ask you a little question as I sort of start into looking where to make my investments. I'm new, and I came across a couple products, things like robo-advisors like Betterment or Fidelity, Go, things like that, versus actually going in and investing in things yourself like uh, index funds or maybe even target funds and stuff like that. I was curious what your take is on these things, especially for someone new, considering the fact that robo-advisors do charge a little bit more. And uh, what do you guys think on those kind of uh, options for someone who's starting? Anyways, thanks a lot, guys. Looking forward to hearing from you. All right. Welcome back. That's a great question. I know you've had a lot of experience, Daniel, um, experimenting with some of the robos out there. Um, I want to hear your, I, I mean, I'll let you just take it away. What do you got for Abraham? Yeah, I mean, pretty much anyone that comes online, I try to sign up for it. I create a goal or an account or something. I just like to see how they work. I like to see what their edge is. Uh, because, you know, I'm going to throw out there, the name of the show is DIY Money. So you already know that we believe that you can DIY this, a lot of this stuff. You can learn, you can grow, you can implement it yourself if that's what you choose to do. And you really should be knowledgeable about finances because um, you can do it. And no one else is going to do it as well as you do it if you choose to go that route. So uh, you can figure it out. You can open an investment account and do it yourself. Obviously, we can do that because we're investment advisors. So we're competent in that area. But what I'd love to do is when these new things come online, I like to see what they're all about. Uh, so I'll, I've had an account at various of these different places. And when it comes to robo-advisors, uh, here's kind of my perspective my view, their interface, they do exceptionally, exceptionally well. They are very user-friendly. And what the robo-advisor sort of era has brought on is the fact that investing has to be approachable and user-friendly because a decade or so ago, it was clunky. Yeah, You'd open up a brokerage account, you'd log on, the interface was, you know, okay. Uh, you try to figure out how to buy or sell something. You'd have to do, you know, go to the research tab, then go to the trade tab, all this. What, uh, we'll say Betterment. We'll use Betterment because they're the big robo-advisor here in the U.S., uh, kind of the the cornerstone robo-advisor, if you will, the the pinnacle that what every robo-advisor kind of measures itself off of right now. What Betterment essentially did is it created a user interface where you could go online, you can open an account without any paperwork, boom, 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 like five steps. You had an account open, you set a goal, so it was all go-based. It wasn't like just throw money in an account and hope that it gets to where you want it to go. You told it what your timeline was, what the amount of money you needed. It recommended how much to put in each month. It recommended an account allocation for you. It did a lot of the things that a financial planner or investment advisor is going to sit down and do with you via you know calculating, et cetera. Um, but it made a lot of assumptions for you. But the user interface was slick and good. And what it did is back before there were zero commissions in stocks and uh, low-cost mutual funds, it has allowed you to invest dollars that then got allocated across these different ETFs. Uh, and it functioned very, very well. 
especially for that time period that it was implemented. But there was a fee for it. Uh, you were paying for that technology and that interface and so forth, when at the reality, you could have just opened up a brokerage account, put money in an S&P 500 fund or a target date fund that was even lower cost, if you kind of roughly knew about the goal that you had, the return that you needed, and the risk that you wanted to take to be able to get to that goal. So overall, you know, the interface of these things are great. The user friendliness is great, but you can do it yourself. You can open up a brokerage account. You can go the very, very low cost option, option, save yourself quite a bit on fees by saying, you know, I have a goal that is 10 years away. Here's an allocation that'll get me there. You can study up and learn, you know, the stock bond sort of mix that you need to be able to get there. In fact, Betterment and some of these will actually just show you what they would advise you, uh, for that particular timeline goal. So uh, you can almost copy it if you were confident that that was the one that you wanted to choose. But you can do that without paying them at all. What you're getting when you pay them is sort of this comfort level and really this technology level that you probably don't essentially need. On the flip side, there are some people that want more confidence. Um, They want somebody to really be able to sit down and help them plan and walk through the math and figure out that portfolio basically give them actual human experience. And that's what the robo-advisors don't do. When you're working with a robo-advisor, unless you go to their next level up, which is sort of a robo-advisor plus planning, you don't get that actual human interaction. It's simply you type into the computer what your goals are. uh, They assign you an allocation that's kind of the best fit for that. And then you're basically paying for the technology or the vehicle to take your dollars and invest it in that. That's what a brokerage account will do for you for free if you can educate yourself and figure out the investments. So, Perfect. Yeah. Well, what is your, I mean, but you left Betterment. I did leave Betterment. Yeah. So I actually like the interface um, and full disclosure. So I set up a goal on there to save up for our, our car, not the van that we bought recently, but the prior one, the one that I'm driving now in our family. Um, so I set it up for that and, and something else. I, I had a Roth there for a while. Here was my frustration. Uh, on the front end, Betterment's stuff was really slick. And I actually liked the way that it tracked month to month. You know, here's where you are versus your goal that you said was three years away. And here's the allocation you're in and the risk you're taking. And you have X percentage of chance that you'll, you know, have more than you need and X percent of chance that you won't have enough or it goes to zero or whatever. I forget exactly what all the graphs said at that point. Here was the rub for me that eventually made me lose or leave Betterment. And it may not still be this way. So if somebody's listening and they say, yeah, that, that it works better than that now, it, it may be because it was a couple of years ago. So we were saving in a taxable account for this car goal. And it was just the goal that we picked to test out Betterment. Uh, so it's a taxable account, remember. So we're going to pay taxes on it at the end when we sell stuff. So we save, save, save. Every month we're putting in two deposits, uh, one with each paycheck. And it's buying into a portfolio of, say, eight ETFs, right? Uh, so twice a month, eight ETFs. So we have twice a month times 12 months, 24 times a year. It's buying eight different securities. <laughs> and then when we go to sell this in one big chunk to use that money to buy a car, that next year when we file our taxes, instead of consolidating all of those transactions into one line uh, for each ETF, so we have eight lines, it put every single purchase on a different line for our taxes. And when I tried to import that in the into TurboTax, because we also do it ourselves on the tax side, TurboTax basically freaked out and said, you can't use the online version of TurboTax that you've been using. You have to switch to the download side. And it, then it still freaked out. And it actually caused about a three-day sort of headache as far as trying to do our taxes and upload this sort of like 50-page cost basis form, et cetera. So there's probably a CPA listening right now. It's like you could have just you know transposed that into this and done it that way. But that's the, that's the human-level service 
that you then end up needing to add to this element of robo-advising. So it was not as simple on the back end as it looked and felt on the front end. And that was kind of frustrating for me. And it made me sort of go, eh, you know, they don't have all the kinks worked out and I can just put this in a brokerage account. I know Schwab brokerage account was going to consolidate everything into one line. So I was like, I'm just going to do it there. And it works. I have a very simple philosophy on this. I uh, Daniel has done a great job. I have zero experience with any of these. Um, I have never tried. I have never gone down that path. Um, so I'm not the one uh, developing our... Um, you know, our wealth development uh, suite of, um, of services, as Daniel is for our firm. So I, I'm not on the due diligence committee for this. But my philosophy is real simple. You either completely do it yourself, and you don't even consider paying anyone, and you go to my preferences of Vanguard. Uh, I'm a big John Bogle fan. They just were first mover advantage in this whole fiduciary space regarding low to no fee. Uh, so I'm a big Vanguard fan. And you just resolve, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to be the one who develops our plan. I'm going to be the one who invests. That's fine. And that's why, you know, we're doing the podcast is to, for people to ultimately get out of debt and start the wealth development phase. And if they want to do it themselves. The flip side is, if you don't want to do it yourself, don't, in my personal opinion, and I guess I'm advisor, so this is my blanketed advice. Don't take this as advice personally. <laughs> I don't like these middle of the road things where, oh, I'm kind of helping you and I'm kind of not. And here's why. Because when you have a specific question, they're going to bunt or they're not even going to be there because they're not going to take on the liability of answering your specific question, which means what? It leaves you to being on your own, doing it yourself. So why go down this middle of the road where you're kind of paying, you're not kind of paying? I think that's ridiculous. The reality is you either want an advisor or you don't. If you want an advisor, 1% is the standard uh, management. Now, you might get people that are hawking this, that, and the other, but I mean CFP, advisory plans, you know, the whole nine yards. Now, in our firm, we are working on, and it's early, too early, but we're working on a, a service that will allow so this this sort of automated, you know, the 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 expense that we bear a lot of times is the investment side of things. So the automated investments with personal investment guidance and that and and CFP like guidance and that is going to be at a cost, but it's going to be at a premium. It won't be you know standard one percent, but it be it'll be at a premium from a quote unquote robo. But my point, Abraham, is this: either completely do it yourself or find a fiduciary advisor, one or the other. But I think these middle-of-the-road people who are trying to feign as this, well, we're kind of this do-it-yourself, but we're going to give you advisory services, is nonsense. I, I just, I don't like it. It's personally. technology and marketing. Exactly. So there you go. That's all we got for you. And we're totally running out of time, so I'm just going to cut it here. Thanks for listening to DIY Money, friends. Remember, the secret to wealth is very simple. Live on less than you make. Invest the rest and do so for a very long time. Make it a great one. Now back to Tape Talk Radio with Quint Tatro and Daniel Zolno. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Tape Talk Radio. I'm your host, Quint Tatro. And Daniel Zona. That was a great question. I wanted to bring that out to talk about on Tape Talk Radio because 
it is a perfect environment for this subject matter. Um, I think this is the environment in which people are probably very pleased to have an advisor. I would say, and let me clarify, that is as long as the advisor is being proactive, having conversations, communications regarding strategies uh, as we come into the election, the volatility, and really discussing the heightened nervousness of the clientele that's out there. I know that every day I'm having conversations with people, whether it's in our office wearing masks or on the phone, and the conversation is very similar. The conversation is, well, we're nervous. What do you think uh, is going to happen? And, of course, I preface by saying no one knows what's going to happen. In fact, if I were to tell you three months ago that we would have gone through a complete quarantine, economy uh, shutting down, a 32 Four percent GDP decline in Q2. That was on top of a decline in uh, Q1, thus uh, thrusting us into an actual recession, uh, as the academic uh, definition states, two negative quarters of GDP. And yet the market would be flat to positive for the year. You would have thought I was absolutely crazy. You probably would have forwarded my message around to your friends and saying, look at this quack. What a crazy guy. In fact, I had someone tell me once uh, when I said I think the market will have a strong bounce and it's probably a buying opportunity. Uh, And he said, Quint, I love you. I think you're crazy, uh, but I still love you. And so, you know, whatever. We, We know what happened. So the reality is no one knows the future. We have no idea what's going to transpire over the next couple of months, much less what's going to happen during or as we proceed into and through this election cycle. The reality, however, is that doesn't give you an out for having a plan. That doesn't mean, well, I don't know what's going to happen, so I just hope for the best. No, that's that's not that's ludicrous. So I think it's very important to have an overall roadmap and a thesis by which to manage or proceed with accordingly. I am never one to shy away from transparency, so I will just share with you ours. It's very simple. First and foremost, uh, almost all, if not all, I would say a vast majority of all of our clients have a financial plan with a required rate of return. What that simply means is we have looked at the long and big picture of someone's financial situation. We invest with a purpose. We do not work with folks and just say, oh, well, we're going to just try to outperform the market or pick better stocks than the next guy. It's not what we do. We are planting, planning-centered and purpose-driven when it comes to our uh, firm. And so every client of ours has a plan where we can state unequivocally, this is the required rate of return. And so it is important to always revert back to that plan and making sure that we are allocated appropriately over the long term in order to meet that required rate of return. Now, I know what people say. People immediately say, yeah, but Quinn, I'm in my 60s. I don't have time. I just did air quotes. I don't know why I'm on the radio. I don't have time. Well, the reality is, unless you know you are going to drop dead next month or next year, which no one does, the reality is your time horizon is the rest of your life. I really want to make that clear. No longer do we have the luxury of retiring, parking money in a CD or treasuries earning 7 and 8% and riding off into the sunset. The last time I looked, United States 10-year treasury was a half of 1%, a half of 1%. At a 2% inflation rate, that means you're losing 1.5% of your purchasing power. So guess what? You are going to have to continue to invest if you just want to keep up with inflation. 
the reality is your time horizon is the rest of your life. So that being said, we have to make sure we have an appropriate allocation over the rest of your life to meet your goals. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't make some nuance-type changes as we come into periods of heightened volatility. One of those, we believe, is coming in the very near future. So at this juncture, we are holding higher levels of non-market or non-risk exposure than normal. What does that mean in layman's terms? Well, that means if someone is a 100% targeted allocation, that would be a risky type investor. A 100% is how much they could have invested at any one time. At this moment in time, we're around 70%. That means we have 30% out of the market. I had a conversation with somebody the other day and they said, Quint, you know, you're still very, very cautious here, uh, holding a lot of cash. You know, what, what's your view? And I said, well, I actually view it the other way. We have 70% invested. <laughs> that's a lot, in my opinion, coming into what we're coming into. Now, that's prorated down for various investors. So if someone is traditionally balanced, let's say a 50-50, we are, we are down even further from that in their equity exposure. Now, why? Why are we doing that? We're not trying to time the market. We're trying to be prudent with the risks versus rewards that we see on the horizon. And if we're wrong, well, the market keeps chugging along high. And yes, we might not make as much, but we're not risking as much. And that's our philosophy here. I also like to go into an individual scenario with folks talking about what we do see on the horizon for the markets and the election. We don't have time to go into that today. But if those are the conversations you're not having with your advisor, it's probably time for a new advisor, my personal opinion. You can always call us, 881-0777. That's 881-0777. And as I said to Abraham in the DIY, you're either doing it yourself, completely doing it yourself, that's fine, or you're engaged with an advisor. If you are engaged with an advisor, I hope you're having that communication, revisiting the plan, and making sure your strategies are in alignment. All right, we're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll hit our second DIY question, talking about budgets and Fast Cash. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to another edition of DIY Money. DIY Money. The last podcast, uh, Daniel just went on a complete rampage. Uh, I'm sorry, I had over, so many words bottled up. Took over the uh, the podcast completely. So let's go through all of our uh, nuance type things that we normally talk about. First and foremost, if you're not following us on the Insta, make sure you check us out at DIY.money. That's DIY.money. Some cool things going on over there. The tribe, the DIY tribe up in Facebook world is rocking and rolling. Um, that's a lot of fun. And I encourage you to check that out. Uh, and then finally, if you are, what else we got? <laughs> what else we got? YouTube. We're working on that. What's going on with We're working YouTube? on YouTube. We're getting the YouTube channel live. We're going to be putting the videos up there. Uh, Video's not our strong point, but it's becoming. Not yet. 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 It's not yet our strong point. It will become our strong point. So, and oh, by the way, if you are wanting to get into the, the groove of the podcast and uh, participate with our uh, callers, you go ahead and send us an audio question to podcast at diymoney.org. That's podcast at diymoney.org. Just shoot your question on your smartphone and uh, send it off via email. We'll stick it in the queue. And if we use it, we'll send you $25 in Amazon gift cards. That was easy. Now, we've got a great question 
uh, this week from Nancy from Nova. I don't know where Nova is, but anyways, that's what she says. Nancy from Nova. Uh, I'm assuming that's Nova Scotia, maybe? Nova Scotia. Or Northern Virginia? Oh, yeah. No, that's, yeah, probably Nova. I feel like in Denver, they call Lodo. Okay. Lower Denver. It would have been cool if it was Nova Scotia. Can we just pretend? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) What does a Nova Scotian accent sound like? I don't know. Anyways, um, Nancy actually sent in two, four, six, eight questions. Uh, They're all good, actually. All these questions were great. And so we might have a Nancy from Nova marathon at some point. It would be video, though. So there you go. Uh, Nancy from Nova, the marathon video coming Let us know what Nova is, though, Nancy. Let us know what Nova is. We're probably both wrong. (laughs) Yeah, she'd be like, duh, it's uh, northern, I don't know. I got, I got nothing. All right, without further ado, Nancy, what do you got? DIY! Hi, Quint, Daniel, and your intern. I love DIY money, and I'm just so excited to get to send in some questions. I've read your book, and just so you know, I have Fast Cash, three months of rainy day fund, and making margin. We have a mortgage and a second mortgage that we could pay off now with our rainy day fund. But the question today is, how big should an expense be before you accrue for it? I know this is just a rule of thumb question, but wanted your opinions. Thanks. All right. Uh, I got to admit that was humbling. Nancy, thank you so much for all of the wonderful comments. And she read the book, DIY Money, the book on Amazon. And she's got all the she's got all the uh, vocab down. She knows what she's talking about. So this is actually an interesting question because I have not thought about this. I have done this instinctually, and I'll give you my two cents on that. But I've not thought about it from the standpoint of a dollar amount. So let's hear what Daniel has to say, and then I'll add my two cents. Go ahead, Daniel. Yeah, this is a huge DIY money move, um, and this is kind of when you really get to the point where you have things in order and you're talking about accruing for future expenses. That's awesome. Uh, for those who aren't uh, maybe tracking or following along, uh, what Nancy's talking about is when you've got all these sort of immediate financial goals figured out, but you know that sort of down the road, you're going to have stuff that comes up, expenses that come up that might be big things, car, uh, house maintenance, weddings, down payments for houses, things like that. Uh, you know, you sort of build up a savings account or an investment account for those. Uh, we kind of talked about that a little bit in our last episode uh, when we used Betterment in the past for our auto uh, savings and then decided not to do that for future auto savings. You'll have to listen to that episode to find out why. But uh, you can also do that for smaller things, uh, a vacation, a trip coming up, etc. So how do I, uh, and I'm just going to speak from my perspective because I think it's going to be a little bit different for everybody. But usually the sort of the threshold that I look at as far as whether or not I start accruing uh, for a particular goal or expense is whether or not when that expense comes up, it's going to impact the monthly budget in any type of significant way. So for instance, we have a line in our monthly budget that's just, we call it future expenses. Some people would call it miscellaneous. It's sort of a, in our minds it's spent, but we set it aside and we use it as a sinking fund is I think what Ramsey calls it. Uh, you know, it goes into an account and it's just that extra. So on months when we need to spend a little bit more than, than we think or something comes up or we want to do something, it's just, it's our miscellaneous. It's just there. It's just money that in our minds is spent, but we can use it if it's in the account and it's there. Uh, so we have that kind of line item. And if it's more than that amount, then we actually add it into our budget as a line item. 
So what you do is you put a line item in your budget and it's car, car payment, whatever. And you put that into a savings account. And as that builds up, then eventually that meets the price that you want to pay for a new to you car. And you go out and you buy the car with the cash that's in the account. Now, we commonly think about doing that for these big things, but you can do it for a weekend away, uh, you know, a $800 weekend away um, that might take, you know, some of us two months, three months to save up for. It might take some of us 12 to 18 months to save up for it because you put it as a line item in your budget. Your budget still has to be zero at the bottom, but you put it as a line item in there and you accrue into an account or into a place that, that, that you uh, feel comfortable with that amount every month. And until that meets that amount, you don't go out and spend that money. Would Monsieur care for another bottle of the Chateau Latour? Uh, yes, but no more 1966. Let's splurge. Bring us some fresh wine, the freshest you've got this year. No more of this old stuff. Oui, monsieur. He doesn't realize he's dealing with sophisticated people here. Uh, what is that dollar threshold? Again, you have to look at your budget. If your monthly budget, if your income line item is on the smaller side, then that threshold is probably going to be smaller because it won't take much to sort of um, derail the budget for the month. Does that make sense? If you're, she can't answer. She can't answer that. <laughs> yes. Felt like I was having a conversation with you, Nancy, and then I realized you're not here. Yes. If the revenue side is higher, you know, let's compare and contrast a budget that you know has two thousand dollars of income per month versus say a budget that has ten thousand dollars income per month. Well, a $500 line item on a $2,000 income is going to kind of derail, right, uh, the sort of budget for the month. Not derail, but I mean, it's pretty significant, 25% of the budget for the month, right? A $500 line item expense on a $10,000 a month income, if everything else is kind of in order, shouldn't really derail. Like, you can move stuff around probably. If you don't have debt and you've saved up fast cash and you have your emergency fund, you probably have, you know, margin in that budget that... If a $500 expense came up for your car maintenance or something, you have room in there that you could do it. So a lot of it is relative to that income. For me, I just look at my budget and go, when I want to spend this money, is it going to make me just throw the whole budget out the window? If so, then I have a savings account for it and I set up a month-to-month -month payment that goes into that account and I wait until that account balance matches the expense that I want to spend. Okay. Um, it's very I very technical. Sorry. No, it was very good. I thought long and hard about this because I've not thought about this from a dollar amount perspective. And so I thought to myself, how do I do it? And the reality is I have accrued, I have put on a list, and I'll go through them here shortly, any annual expense that I find annoying. And I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. If, if I in the past have gotten a bill in the mail that I may have forgotten about, that I didn't put properly on the budget, and I was like, oh, this is annoying. And one that Daniel will have some humor in and know exactly what I'm talking about was my auto registration. I hate auto registration. I don't know why it's annoying to me. And for the longest time, for whatever reason, my plates weren't right or something, I couldn't do it online. At least I can do it online now. But I was that guy who proverbially never got it done in time because I just not was proverbially annoyed. actually actually and yeah there's no proverbial <laughs> about it I never got it done in time and I mean I think one time you got it for me and it was just awful it's just horrible 
the reality is what it was is I didn't like having that money come out of my budget. So anything that was basically annoying on an annual basis, I have started to accrue. My list is as follows. I accrue home insurance, property taxes. It's because we don't escrow. We don't have a mortgage. I accrue my auto insurance payments. I have an umbrella policy. I accru- I'm looking at these literally on my sheet right now. I accrue our life insurance policies. I accrue and I pay up front for a year. All of the fertilizer, I'm a lawn guy uh, and I don't do it. So I pay uh, for all of the, um, uh, what do you call it? The fertilizer and pesticides and all that crap that we put on our lawn to make it beautiful. I accrue that because it's a big amount, but I pay it once a year. And then finally, our auto registration. Outside of that, I also accrue Christmas, which I've talked about and written about, and I accrue vacations. So I accrue that total amount. I lump it all together. I divide by 12 and I put it in an account. I literally, I don't earmark each individual one. Um, I, I bring it into my checking account and I sweep it over to another account. And then anytime I have a bill like that come due or we pay for Christmas or vacation, I sweep it back and I pay it accordingly. One of the other reasons I have never found these apps that people are talking about, budgeting apps and all the rest of this stuff, appropriate because... I don't know any app that is going to know what I should accrue or how to accrue, et cetera. They're going to tell me, I don't know. I guess I could build expenses in. I don't know. Progress. Flippity, flabbity, floobity, flubblefish. But nonetheless, that's how I do it. It is not a dollar amount. I'm looking at this. Our umbrella policy is $256.78 a year. So that's how low that accrual is, $21.40 a month, um, all the way up to property taxes, which is the most. Um, and, and that, obviously, I'd want to accrue if you're paying a mortgage and you're accruing them already or you're escrowing them already, you're already doing that. So ultimately, for me, it's not a dollar amount. It's more about annoyance and what I want to have at the ready. The other thing I'll end on is a question she asked, which is a very quick one. I didn't bring it out, but she said, what's the difference between fast cash and accruals? This was, again, was one of her eight questions, which I thought was great. Fast cash to me is simply the money that I have sitting idle that kind of an emergency pops up that's not really an emergency. It's more of an annoyance. Uh, I had to get new tires the other day, two new tires. I didn't get all four. They tried to sell me all four. I didn't get all four. Um, And I think it was... 400 some odd dollars. I used fast cash for that. I used, I didn't hit the budget. I didn't hit the emergency fund. I just used the fast cash. Um, I put it in the bank and then, and then used my debit card. I didn't want to give them cash. Uh, but nonetheless, that's what I use that for. So I keep it separate. I do not keep it the same. So nonetheless, those were great questions, Nancy. We really appreciate it. We'll be sending you $25 e-card from Amazon And again, if you're new to the show, all she did uh, was to send us eight individual questions, which we'll get to. I love every single one of them. They're great. So we'll get to each other. I'm not so sure we're going to send you $25 Amazon card for each every single one, Nancy. But, you know, whatever. We'll we'll see what we can do. Yes. You've been listening to uh, DIY Money. Remember, friends, the secret to wealth is very simple. Live on less than you make. Invest the rest and do so for a very long time. Make it a great one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. If you want content delivered to you regularly, be sure to follow us on Instagram at DIY.money. And if you want your question aired on the show, be sure to send that to us and you'll get a $25 Amazon gift card. This show is for entertainment and educational purposes only and is not intended as personal financial advice. Before making any financial decision, please do your homework and consult a financial advisor as needed.